Father, as we go to your word today, I just want to thank you for loving me in spite of me. Thank you for loving me in spite of all of the behavior, all of the rebellion that has been in my life. Every one of us can pray that same prayer to you. Your love is persistent. Your love is profound. We do not deserve what you give us. Help us to keep that in mind as we go to your word today. Father, as we deal with a very difficult and uh, hot topic that causes a lot of controversy, really one of the hardest things for us to, to deal with here in this world, we pray for your wisdom. And I pray that uh, whatever words I say, your Holy Spirit would interpret to every heart and they would receive what you want them to receive. Maybe not even what I said. Lord, I'm counting on that today. In Jesus' name, amen. Why are we doing this Not My World series? Well, I'll tell me why, because uh, many of us are caught up in the world and kind of assume we're just part of it. We're just here. We're living life like everybody else. We follow similar schedules. We get the same stresses. We deal with the same financial issues. We have the same relationship problems sometimes. We're living pretty much like the people around us, aren't we? So this series has a point. It has a purpose. We hope that through this series it will be a, a meaningful experience of, of awareness, of, of new wisdom about our situation, about our circumstances, about how we live in this world, and that somehow God's word over these next few weeks will change our hearts, change our very lives, and, and our witness for God in this world. Tim Challies wrote about the dangers in this world today of distraction for Christians. You know, that we, we can become so distracted we're not really paying attention. He said this, Christians may be excited about God, but because they have become a product of our digital world, they have a diminished ability to think deeply about him, to truly know him as he is. More and more of us are finding that we just can't stop long enough to read. We can't sustain our attention long enough to study. We can't find the time to meet with our Father. And where prayer used to be the first activity in the day, we now begin our daily routine by checking our emails. Where the Bible used to be a special book we read and studied, now it's an e-book that has to compete with our voicemail, text messages, emails, and the ever-present lure of the Internet. Then Charlie says this, Here is one of the great dangers we face as Christians today. With the ever-present distractions in our lives, we are quickly becoming a people of shallow thoughts. Shallow thoughts lead to shallow living. And there's this serious and yet simple, inevitable progression at work here. Look at this. Distractions lead to shallow thinking, lead to shallow 
living. Isn't that where we live? We have so much going on, so many distractions, that we're living really shallowly, if that's the word. Remember Willow Creek Church coming back with a report after years and years of effort saying, we got a lot of people, a lot of people in the mix, but their faith is about an inch deep. How do we move deeper? How do we have a greater impact for God? So please, please, please open your heart to whatever God may want to impress upon us today and each week over the next few weeks. And let's get past our distractions and let the Spirit of God speak to each one of us. Now here's a quick review of what we've learned so far. We've learned that we are aliens and exiles here in this world. Where this is not our world, we are Christian citizens of heaven. And while we are here, our purpose is to honor God and to help other people come to know Him. People that need Him too as their Savior and Lord, their forgiver, their leader. And we are here as salt and light. We've talked about that. By necessity, we are in the world, but we are not to be of this world. We are to influence this world for Christ. But it seems to me that often the influence is going the other way. We are being influenced by the world around us. And that has to change. Now we're discussing in this series five big issues. The first one was living in a world where truth is relative. And we talked about competing worldviews. That there is one true worldview that we live. It's a biblical worldview. Today we're going to talk in living in a world where anything goes about sexual immorality, as you know. And then we're going to talk about living in a world where life is cheap where abortion and euthanasia and genocide occurs regularly in this world. Why is that? Why is life so cheap? And then we're going to talk about living in a world where science rules and this conflict between science and evolution that we hear about quite often. And then finally, living in a world where money is the ultimate solution. So here we go. How do we live in a world where anything goes? We live in a promiscuous, permissive society, don't we? Sexual and moral standards of yesterday are regarded as passé, as ancient relics that have little or nothing to say to us today. We Americans think we're enlightened. We are free to live as we want to live. We don't want to be told what to do. And we're tired of rules and regulations. We bristle at any statements that begin, Thou shalt not. Could we pass the Ten Commandments as our law today? I'm not sure we could in America. A lot of difficulty with that. We live in a sick, foolish, and decaying society. I chose those words very carefully. People are unthinking, seemingly unaware that their foolish choices are going to get them in trouble. Our country is spiritually sick. It's the truth of it. As a country, we have distanced ourselves from God and deliberately. This is foolish, to say the least, because God knows what is best for us. We are decaying, growing weaker and weaker, spiritually and morally. And as a pastor, I see evidence of this all the time. I sometimes wonder to my wife how people can try so hard to screw up their lives. <laughs> it just seems like if there's a bad way to do something, that's the obvious choice. Let's go that way and see how bad things can get and see people watch a string of things happening in their lives and then I get the call or the elders get the call, come and bail me out, come and help me. 
Meanwhile, all these troubles have been going around them and nothing is improving, nothing is changing that might address some of the problems they're bringing into their own lives. There are consequences to our actions. And people wonder how they got where they are today. We live in a society that is ignorant of God's word and God's will. It used to be you could say, let's look at the Bible together. They'll say, what's that? Well, let me share a verse with you. I don't care about that, is the answer. Many people do not know God and certainly have no regard for what he said, what he has revealed. They are totally unaware of the wisdom he has imparted. And if they are somewhat aware, then they see him as some kind of cosmic killjoy. He's just a policeman, just always watching me, and I don't like it. Let me explain something about God's laws and God's rules, if you don't know. They are not meant to spoil your fun. That's not the point. The point is to make, to make your life better. They are not meant to take away your freedom, but to give you a greater freedom than you've ever known. Because you are in bondage to the lifestyle you have now. But through Christ and through his word, you can find true freedom for this life and the next. Their purpose, God's purpose in giving these laws is to make us happier, to live longer lives, to know how things work. Throughout the world, there's still genuinely a positive feeling about marriage. We're going to talk about sexual immorality today. Then we talk about the positive part of that, of marriage. God has an idea. God has a plan. He has a principle of marriage. And he says, when you follow this, this would be the greatest way you could possibly live if you were someone that chooses to marry. Most people still look up to that idea, to that ideal of marriage as a, a covenant between men and women who love each other for a lifetime. In America, laws and resolutions defending marriage have been recently passed by many of our states because the majority of people have believed this is the way to go. And it has been that way for thousands and thousands of years in many different countries. Most of the countries of the world. This is the way it is viewed. However, because of an influential minority of people seeking to normalize and legitimize homosexuality, we have rapidly turned a corner, much faster than we thought we could. That corner so that homosexual couples can now legally marry in many places of this country and enjoy the same rights and privileges as heterosexual couples. In just short time, public opinion has changed rapidly, hasn't it? And it was, it was just five years ago, I was worried that this day would come. And I thought it might take 20 years. I'll be retired by the time that hits. Uh, no. Uh, is here. The change has come. And our Supreme Court will be ruling this summer on whether or not the laws of the land can stay the laws of the land or not. Uh, this, is, this is a very big deal for America. Sexual immorality is on the rise in America. And I'm not just talking about homosexuality, although that's one evidence of it. The recent release of the movie, Fifty Shades of Grey, is a good example of what's happening where our society is spiritually. I did not read the book. I will not go see the movie. Summaries are enough. Just to find out what it's about. People have told me amply enough to know that this is a foolish, deceitful trick of the devil. I was glad when a young lady raised in this church had the wisdom to post 
the following on Facebook. Listen to what she said. If you know me well, you've heard me express my reasonings as to why I would never read the Fifty Shades of Grey series or see the movie. Personally, society has portrayed the physical aspect of a marriage disgustingly. So many women already think they aren't worthy enough. BDSM will not ever solve the issue. Not reading these type of fiction books, not watching reality TV, and finding Jesus' agape love for us, no matter what we do, would help men and women in society with their self-image and self-worth ideas. Trust me, I've been there. And I definitely don't want to hear you say it's just a book or it's just a movie, because it is not. Seeds are planted and they expand over the days, months, even years. Real love, she says, doesn't dominate. Love doesn't push. Love's intent isn't to create pain. Love's intent is to create a relationship of peace, safety, and security emotionally and relationally when it comes to intimacy. And that was her post. And I, for one, am grateful that some of the young people of our country that are committed to Christ take a stand for what is right like that and say, this is what's right, this is what is true. And I don't know what kind of flack she'll take for that. But I appreciate her courage and her boldness. The biblical view of human sexuality, heterosexual or homosexual, is not politically correct today. I don't think that's a news bulletin to any of you. The idea that, that uh, sex is to be reserved for marriage between a man and a woman is seen as passé or archaic, puritanical, out of touch. Yeah, that's what they used to believe. But that's not for today, is what we'll hear. And that is very unfortunate. Because God's laws and principles are not arbitrary. They are not meant to be killjoys. They were created for our good. To make our lives here on earth more enjoyable, more satisfying. And God is not out to get us. He is not out to punish us when we slip up. He truly wants what is best for us, so he has laid down these laws, these principles, so that we can find a life that is the right kind of life here to live, the best kind of life to live. The sooner we can learn to accept his motives, what his purpose was behind this, the sooner we will begin to accept, embrace, and live by his laws and principles. God is motivated by love, and so must we be. We live in a sexually charged society where morality is mocked. We are constantly, consistently bombarded with sexual messages of one type or another. We are constantly encouraged to chase our sexual desires anytime, anywhere. And we are falsely promised that there are no lasting consequences if we do. Even though we all know that's not true. And we see the heartache that follows. I want you to know this morning that I'm going to talk some about homosexuality, but I'm not going to focus on that a great deal, because one sin is not worse than any other. That is also the truth of God's Word. So we are making a big mistake when we isolate our, uh, one sinful behavior and scorn the person guilty of that sin while ignoring the sins of other people, including our own sins. That's, that's the deal. That's not my sin, so I can talk about it. I can berate someone else. I can criticize them because I don't have any problem with that. There's a big problem with that. In the past, many churches have been guilty of treating divorcees or drug users or alcoholics or prostitutes like they have the plague. 
completely shun them, completely avoid them, won't have anything to, to say to them or do for them. And we as the church, Big C, have avoided them and their problems because we've been uncomfortable dealing with those problems. We've treated them somehow as if their, their sins are worse than our own. And they are not. And today, in today's society, we are likely to do the same thing with homosexuals, those who are living the gay lifestyle. Whether it's open or not, if we are aware of that, we are, we are tempted to avoid them, or tempted even to shun them. It's an uncomfortable topic for many of us, so we try to avoid it. We may even shun the people in that lifestyle, because then we don't have to deal with the whole thing. We just act like nothing's going on. But it is. This avoidance is not right. This avoidance, this attitude cannot be tolerated. So I want to talk mostly this morning about our attitude. Our attitude towards other people. Sinful people like us. Because this whole series, Not My World, is about our attitude. That's what has to change. This series is about trying to sort out how we can live in the world and yet not be of, of the world. To be, become part of the world, of its, of its values, its perspectives, its priorities. And as this world moves farther and farther away from God, those of us who still want to follow God will find ourselves more and more marginalized. More and more at odds with what is going on. And if we don't, we're in serious trouble. You can expect for us to become more marginalized and more out of touch and at odds with the world. You know, we just, we don't, we don't line up. We can't find common ground a lot of times. So this is the tricky thing. Here's the daunting challenge to our attitude and therefore to our behavior. How do we speak the truth in love as the Word of God says we must? How do we speak the truth and avoid this critical, judgmental attitude or spirit? I think we can. In fact, I think we must. We've got to do this. We've got to change our attitude. Homosexual behavior is a sin, but it is no worse than other sins. Having sex with someone you are not married to is just as sinful. Any sin is rebellion against God. And the Bible says the wages of sin is death. So any sin you commit, however small you may count it to be, how many few people are, are affected by that is not the issue. Did you rebel against God? Did you say, I know better than you? And now that sexual sins are encouraged and glorified in our society, does that mean the church cannot speak against sin? Does that mean that the church needs to stay sequestered off to itself somehow in a corner, never dealing with the sexual immorality that is destroying so many people in our, in our world? No, certainly not. And the way we approach them, the attitude shift that must happen, is for us first to realize that we too are sinners. That we are sinners ourselves, bought back from death, by the blood payment Jesus made on the cross on our behalf. We are sinners before we are salt and light. We recognize our need for the Savior just as everyone else needs the Savior. And as sinners, we are sent out 
to rescue other sinners and tell them that there is a Savior, Jesus, the Son of God. We must understand that all forms of sexual immorality are a violation of God's laws. All forms of sexual immorality are foolish. All forms of sexual immorality fall short of God's standards and what is actually best for us. Homosexuality is one of those. His laws are not meant to cheat us out of the fun we might otherwise have, but to help us avoid the pain and the heartache that come from living out of control. Sin is sin. God doesn't hate sinners, but he definitely hates sin. And that's where we need to find ourselves. God loves the people who are still wrapped up and tangled up in the sinful lifestyle that they have chosen. He knows the devastation. He knows beyond that to the eternal consequences, the judgment that falls for those sins unless by His grace they overcome. This world is deluded. This world is deceived. This world is under the influence of the great deceiver, our arch enemy, the devil. The Bible says that he's the father of lies. He's, it's his native tongue. The Bible says that when he speaks, he speaks his native language. And from the moment of that first sin in the Garden of, of Eden, he has been spinning his lies into half-truths and taking in the gullible and the foolish. What the devil offers, what the whole world almost is offering today, is a counterfeit of the real thing. The real thing is marriage. The real thing is sexual expression between two people that are devoted to each other and respect one another and honor each other and are serving one another. And the world throws up all kinds of counterfeits instead of that. They look good at first, but upon closer examination, we discover we're holding empty promises. Biblical view of human sexuality is that sex is to be reserved for marriage, a marriage between a man and a woman committed to each other for life. It is to be reserved for a husband and wife to share as they give themselves to each other in mutual love and respect. That is God's design. That is God's desire. That is the only way sex can be expressed as God intends for it to be expressed. So if we try and jump ahead of marriage... We are violating God's law, and there will be consequences to that. Some of them are not very pretty. Some of them are very difficult. And we will carry the brunt of that sometimes for a lifetime. By God's grace, we can get by that. By God's grace, we can overcome. I've seen many people do that. But to violate God's law always has consequences. What the world offers us is a counterfeit view. It says you don't have to wait for marriage. You don't even have to wait for a love that will last. You can go out the first night and that person can go home with you. It's okay. Do what you want to do now. Don't let God or anyone else spoil your fun. Do whatever you want with whomever you want. Whenever you want. I want you to turn this morning with me to Romans. Romans chapter 1. We're going to spend a lot of time in that. I know our time is, is about gone, really. But hang in there with me because God speaks here a very powerful way. Romans 1.18 The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth. Hang on to that phrase. Suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. 
For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. Another phrase to hang on to. Everyone has built in them an awareness of a creator. They can see, if they look around them, that someone is behind this that we see. We are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Let's add a few other things. And jobs and money and material possessions and other human beings that they glorify. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. This is where it goes, where it leads. You leave God, you rebel against God, you know better than God. Eventually, a lot of the expression of that will be sexual immorality. Sexual impurity for the degrading of your body with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie. They worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised. Amen. Verse 26, because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. When the lusts take over, you go deeper and deeper into that. Even their women exchange natural relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed indecent acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their perversion. Anybody wondering what that's talking about? Isn't that clear? Would you believe the lie that says God never spoke against homosexuality? It is a lie. It is deception. God speaks against it here and six other places. Verse 28, Furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to depraved man, a mind to do what ought not to be done. This is the spiraling effect, downward and downward. When you are gripped by sin, it can only go worse unless that cycle is somehow broken by the power of God. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossip, slanders, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They are senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Wow, what a list. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but they also prove of those who practice them. That is Romans 1. God speaks clearly, emphatically, about people that deny the truth of God, suppress it by their wickedness, and the wickedness just becomes more and more wicked. And when we as a country even have suppressed the truth of God, we have suppressed awareness of God, we are reaping the consequences of that today. And a large part of that is because we have been silent. <laughs> we have not been standing up. Let me figure out how I'm going to close here. Biblical love does not persecute nor does it sanction homosexual behavior. God calls us rather to do what? To focus on the soul of the person who is
is trapped in sin. Whether it's homosexuality or whether it's promiscuity, whether it's sex before marriage or sex outside of marriage and adultery, whether it is some deviant behavior that does not honor God, does not honor your spouse, whether it is pornography, whether it is uh, sexual addiction of some type or another, whatever that is, we don't focus on the sin and condemnation. God says focus on the soul of the person who is trapped by that sin. Christians can and should minister to sinners, including homosexuals, in a kind and yet firm manner. And the church should never turn its back on homosexuals or any other sinner that is seeking and searching to heal the hurt within their lives. Whatever that may take, however long that may take. And then one writer reminds us that homosexuality, being homosexual, is a descriptive adjective, not an unchanging noun. It's really not right, he says, to think of homosexuals as homosexuals. They are people in that lifestyle. It is an adjective for them, but it is not who they really are as they were made. There's another lie. They only being what they were made to be. That is not true. Nobody has ever proven that and is not what God has said. So don't believe it because you will hear it many, many times. And the, the, the thought is that if we say it enough, eventually people believe it. If you just keep saying a lie long enough, well, politicians are beautiful at this. I mean, this, this is one of their greatest gifts. They can speak a bold-faced lie to you, and because they say it every day for a year, you say, I guess they're right. So be careful what you listen to and what you believe. This is where we need to be as Christians today. Telling people what God says, telling them the truth, but speaking it to them in a way of love and, and kindness and caring. We know they're not going to like what we have to say sometimes. They're going to reject that and maybe not even give us an audience, give us a conversation. But this is the best way that they may someday listen to us. So our attitude. I want to read one other place with you this morning. Ephesians 2. Because you need to know. I need to know that I'm a sinner. You need to know that you're a sinner. Ephesians 2. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world, of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. Look at this passage, how many times it says, you were, as for you, we too, all of us, also. Those four verses, how many times does it say that? A bunch of times. The point is, you and I are guilty of the very same things. Maybe not the specific sin of our neighbor, but something like that. All of us are guilty of gratifying these sinful desires, the cravings of our sinful nature. And like the rest, we are objects uh, of wrath. But verse 4, because of his love for us, 
his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith and this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. By grace we are saved. And this is the context. This is the attitude. This is how the church moves into the world. Not being of the world, but being in the world as salt and light. To remember that we are all sinners saved by the grace of God. And if we were not saved by His grace, we would be punished forever in hell just along with everyone else. The approach to the sinner is the same, no matter what their sin problem is. It, it is not the approach of the judge or the jury. It is not the approach of the prosecuting attorney or the defense attorney. It is not even the role of the church clerk, which such, some people like to have, to simply record what transpires, tra transpires in the courtroom. I'm not going to get involved, but I'm going to keep my eye on it. It is the approach of the convicted felon, the convicted felon who has been set free, who tells the other felons, where they can find freedom too. That's the approach. That's where we must live. And if we have difficulty speaking the truth in love, let's settle that first. So, with our time up this morning, what can we do? What must we do? Well, one thing, if you're married, if you're a man or a woman that is married, your spouse, then it's time to live out your vows, to live out your responsibilities as a husband or wife, to be a living example of a good marriage. Let people see by the way you love your spouse what marriage is all about, what God's design is. Show that. Live it. Whether you're married or not, we all need to live in purity. We need to watch our words and our actions. Jerry pointed out in the communion meditation. We need to stop in the areas of sin, like homosexuality with the demeaning jokes and the unkind comments and the malicious names we throw around. We need to clean up our language. We need to clean up our attitude and our behavior. We need to be full of grace and truth, just as Jesus was. And we need to remember that everyone matters to God. They, they may be the least likely person for you to ever spend any time with. The person you would never desire to do that. But they matter to God. And they must matter to us. Those who are caught up in sexual sins are still made in the image of God. And they are sinners. Just as we are. So pray for them. Pray for those who are caught in sexual sin or any other sin. Pray that they would see the truth that they would see their sinfulness and they would confess Christ as Savior and Lord so that they could finally find the freedom that God wants for them. Learn to speak the truth in love from a heart full of love, not judgment. And truly care for people as Jesus did. They just may listen to what God has to say. I like what Warren Wearsby said. He said this, he said, Lost sinners 
came to Jesus because he cared for them. Not because he catered to them or compromised his message. That is what wins the day. That is what impresses those who are caught in this world, in this world system. God help our attitude. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would be with us today. We're struggling, struggling to change our attitudes and then our behaviors. We are struggling to find that right balance of grace and truth. We are struggling to speak the truth in love. Help us. Help us to see Jesus, who did all of these things perfectly. And help us to follow his example. Give us your grace to make it possible. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.